Yeah, drop the capo. Good morning, Vineyard. Wait a second. Good morning, Vineyard. Say good morning to your neighbor. Howdy, Rich. Howdy, Walt. Shout across the room to a neighbor you don't know because we're a friendly bunch of people this morning. Well, he is risen. Amen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen and amen. We are so happy you are here this morning. We're happy that you're joining us online. Man, what a day. A day like today. Promises are fulfilled. Jesus is risen. And we are the sons and daughters of the living King. Amen? Amen. So we're going to worship with music this morning. You can feel like standing or whatever posture of worship you want to do. We're going to have an awesome message brought by Pastor Brent. Always has an encouraging resurrection message. And my prayer for all of us today is that we don't leave the same way we came. And we let the Holy Spirit do something to us and then do it through us. Amen.
It's no fair. You guys know this one. <laughs> Hallelujah. 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 Oh, the Lord God Almighty.
Give them all the praise and the glory. Come on now. Come on now. Let's just take a second, look around. Look at how filled this place is. 
It is amazing to see everybody here today. This is our community. This is our church. But most of all, the kingdom dwells right here. And it's not the building, it's all of you. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, whoever's doing announcements, get up here because we're about ready to kick off another one. All right. All right. King Jesus, this is who he is. Yahweh. Glory to God. Woo! Jim, wait a minute. Okay. Well, it has it here too. Welcome to Vineyard Community Church. Welcome. So happy that you're here. Folks here in person and those out on the airwaves, we're so happy that you're joining us, that you chose to join us today. Oh, happy day. When Jesus washed, he washed our sins away. Welcome and happy Resurrection Day. My name is Jan Bishop, but I know you all know that. Well, maybe not everybody. We are so glad you could join us here at the Vineyard and all of you at home. We are live streaming our Sunday services on Facebook, And you can also find us on YouTube. Pastor Brent Paulson's message today, a woman, two angels, and a gardener, is found in John 20, verses 1 through 18. Grab your Bible or cell to look up today's text. You will also find it printed in your bulletin. The Vineyard Food Source Center is closed today, tomorrow, April 10th, food bag prep. However, we are open on Tuesday, April the 11th, and we need your help. Come help with our monthly produce giveaway from 11 to 3 p.m. for prep work and from 4 to 7 p.m. Volunteers are needed to help with our produce distribution and with cleanup. Hope to see you there. This Wednesday, April 12th, is a quarterly care team meeting. This is for everyone involved in the leadership of a ministry here at the Vineyard. The time is from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Anytime is good time for popcorn. Who loves popcorn? I love popcorn. Oh, not everybody loves popcorn. And we have a popcorn fundraiser. Even if you don't like popcorn, help out with this, okay, for our Food Resource Center. That's for a good cause. April 16th. Lots of great flavors like, what, like avocado, what? Buttery caramel, uh, Tabasco sauce. No, I'm just joking. 
I'm just joking. Good popcorn. And only for $15 for a large bag. You pay that at the movie theater. So come on, this is for to help. No other fees. Pick up a flyer in the lobby. The Women's Brunch and Workshop is back. Are we glad, ladies? Yay! Ooh, y'all hard this morning. Ooh. Okay. The new study is called What the Women Saw. What the Women Saw. Discovering Jesus Through the Eyes of Women. There's no book involved for this study, and you don't want to miss it. Sign up in the lobby. The first workshop is Saturday, April 22nd from 12 to 2 p.m. in the Fellowship Hall. Drench an evening of worship here at the VCC. So if you like this morning, come, come. Woo-wee, that's, that's all I got to say. It, was, it will be a beautiful time worshiping together Saturday, April 22nd from 7 to 9 p.m. And please don't forget today's offering. That's a part of our worship as well. We have a small table set up at the back of the sanctuary for your offering or donate on our church website or on Facebook. So how many of you are glad to be here this morning? How many of you of you are glad that Jesus rose again? All right. Well, have a blessed resurrection day. And yes. And what I like you to do, I like to do sometimes turn to the person next to you and say, I'm so glad you're here this morning. Turn to the person in back of you and say, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Yay. All right. All right. All right. God bless y'all. Have a awesome resurrection day and a blessed week. God bless you. Well, glad to have you all here on this wonderful Resurrection Day. It's good. It's good. Um, there was one of our um, member, members, person, friend, personal friend, um, many of you know him, Danelle Chappelle. He had this kind of famous saying that he always used to do. When uh, used to say whenever he wasn't sure what was, you know, when something unique or weird would happen he would always and and I can't say it like him but he would always go what is going on you know any of you remember is Dale here today I was gonna have him give us a a, like a real in but but that was one of his famous sayings and I think if he would have been around at the first resurrection he would have been like what is going on you know just what's going on here and so because that's really what happened at the First resurrection. We're going to talk about that today because I think there's a lot of misunderstandings about what actually happened and what it actually means. I won't go into as much about what it means. Um, what I am going to talk about a little bit is is how different people reacted to it and responded to Jesus. So, so Father, just come and bless your words this morning. We're God. We can't even. We can't comprehend. We. We don't, we don't have a big enough picture of who you are. We don't, 
really comprehend what it means that Jesus um, was raised from the dead, but not only that, that he was the beginning of the new creation that one day will spread to the whole world and that will transform this old world into a brand new one, just like his body was transformed from an old dead body into a brand new one, and ours will be too. And we look forward to that day. So come and bless these words. May your fire and your spirit flow through me into your people, into our hearts, into our minds. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Tony Evans, who's a famous uh, pastor down, I think he's down in Texas. Some of you have heard him on the radio and stuff. He's an African-American pastor. He um, was talking about once when he had this crack in his roof, uh, in his house, and the inside in the plaster. So he had a guy come out and fix it, and he plastered it, and he painted it. And, you know, a little while later, he said that the crack came back, and it brought a bunch of aunties and uncles with it, you know, and cousins and grandmas and everybody else. And, and so there were cracks everywhere. So he invited another painter to come and fix it. So this other painter comes, and he starts looking at it. And then it, pretty soon he goes outside, and he starts measuring, and he starts, you know, doing all this stuff, and he comes back, and he's talking to Tony, and he says, you don't have a, cra- you don't have a crack problem, well, crack problem, you don't have a crack, crack in the wall problem, you know, and, and, and Tony goes, what? You know, like, and he, Tony's thought right away was like, I, ha- I hired a crack pot, you know, I ha- this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. He said, what you have is a foundation problem, and the foundation problem is causing the cracks, and you know, in, a, in our lives and in our world, a lot of the fixes that we do today are kind of uh, patches. They're, they're patches over the cracks. And um, they keep opening back up. And, and so that's why a lot of times if we have stuff that we're trying to fix in our lives, we, we, if we can tell that we're doing a surface patch is if it keeps opening back up. That means that we're probably doing a surface patch on it. And we're not really dealing with the foundational issue behind it well what the resurrection is and what the crucifixion was and what jesus is is going to not just dealing with the surface issues because our you know our governments and governments throughout history have dealt with the the surface cracks you know they deal with the surface cracks okay how do we how do we fix this problem how do we you know, like somebody said, how do we fix our educational problem? Well, we'll just test the kids more. That'll help. You know, and so if anybody who's been in education hates, hates the, even the term test because they basically what ended up happening is they started teaching kids for tests so they could do well on the test because then the test got them more money and so on and so forth. Did the kids really learn anything more? Not really. They just learned how to take tests better. So if the world was one big test... Um, they would do really well, but that's not what the world is. And so, you know, and we do that with all kinds of stuff, don't we? We patch it. Sometimes we do that in our marriages. We put a Band-Aid over it. Or we even do that sometimes when we have something going on in our bodies. You know, we deal with the symptom, but not the root. And so, today we're going to talk about how uh, the resurrection and, and how it it goes to the very root of what's wrong with uh, what's what's wrong with us, or as Danelle would say, what's 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 going on? What's really going on? So, um, 
In fact, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, some of you are familiar with J.R.R. Tolkien. He wrote Lord of the Rings and several other books, too. But he, 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 I think he coined this phrase. It was called eucatastrophe. And it was kind of the opposite of a catastrophe. I've, I talked about this a few Easter's ago. You know, a catastrophe is pretty much what happens every day you wake up and turn on the news. There's, some, there's a catastrophe, isn't there? Pretty much every day there's a shooting, there's this, there's that. A eucatastrophe is like the reversal of that. And he goes on, and, and this is a, a description of it. He coined the phrase eucatastrophe, and he explicitly relates it to the resurrection. The resurrection, he said, is the archetypal eucatastrophe. We know what a catastrophe is. A catastrophe is the disaster that suddenly overtakes us that could not be prevented. A eucatastrophe is a good catastrophe. As a disaster is about to descend suddenly, there is a glorious reversal in good rather than evil is what ensues. And the resurrection is, of course, the great eucatastrophe. Mary is about to encounter it in a dramatic way in her life and experience, isn't she? She's overcome with grief, and eventually her eyes are open to see the risen Lord standing before her. The passage does focus on verse 11, the passage we're going to look at, through verse 18, where Jesus meets with Mary, and he says three things to her. He speaks a word of correction, a word of calling, and a word of commission. And we're going to see how, how this eucatastrophe begins undoing the brokenness and the catastrophic things that have ever happened in our world. So... Um, and, that, and that's, that's good news because we're always, you know, we, we want things to change. We want stuff to, to happen in our lives. We want our world to change, don't we? Somebody, one of my friends, Rich Nathan, was talking about this once. He was going through all these different books on, on how to change, on how to fix things. And, and, and in fact, he did a study, and there, there are more books on, on self-help, on how to fix yourself, in our in our um, online than almost any other book, and he was talking about the different names for the books about how to change things. How can we change things? How can we change things? One of the books was called these are these were books for lazy people. Um, how to change your life without getting out of bed. Here's another one called how to change your life by doing absolutely nothing. One of them was called. Um, Change your aura, change your life. And the ultimate one, and this is, this is one that would probably where I should probably try this one, Teresa. It's called Change Your Underwear, Change Your Life. So we'll try that. So you guys just try that and we'll see how that works. But that isn't what Easter is about. It's about Jesus getting to the root and changing the roots of what's going on in our world. And so... That's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking in John's Gospel. All four Gospels have accounts of the resurrection. And if you've ever read them, and this can be a little bit... The first time I read the different ones, I thought, well, they're all a little bit different. Did they, like, all screw it up? Did what happened here, you know? And no, they didn't all screw it up. They actually are all telling it from their perspective. It, it, in fact, it's, it's interesting. If... If if the police get 
um, a report on a crime, and they interview like four witnesses, and all the four witnesses say exactly the same, I mean exactly the same things. Do you know what happens? They throw it out. Why? Why would you throw it out? Because it's coached. Because they're just mimicking what somebody else said. They, they know that when four people see something, they all see it a little bit different. They don't see a different event. They see it differently. And so each of the gospel writers sees it a little bit differently. And one of the, one of the things that John does, and John's whole, the whole emphasis in John's gospel, his whole purpose of his gospel, he lays out at the, in, in chapter 20, he says that my purpose is that you may encounter Jesus, that you might see Jesus, and in seeing him you might have, that you might believe in him, and in believing in him that you might have you uh, catastrophe in your life, that your life might be changed that you might believe. And today we see, we see three people in particular whose lives are changed, who begin to believe, not just believe up here, but begin to believe that this really happened. Because when the first disciples experience the resurrection, when they're writing about it, they're writing about it like a group of people, not like a group of people who are trying to you know, cover up something. Not, they're not writing about it like this whole group of people who like thought, okay, you know, this Messiah died and we had these plans for him that he was going to, you know, that, that, that he was going to change the world and take over the world. But now he's dead. So let's figure out plan B. Let's come up with some story and, and tell it so that people might think it, he's still going on and he's still alive. That isn't what this sounds like. This sounds like a bunch of people who saw something they were not expecting to see. Not only were they not expecting to see it, they had no idea what it was. Teresa and I, one night, we were standing out. And we, were look, we live right by Lake Erie. And we're looking out, and we see the, suddenly we see these, like, ten lights going across the sky. It was just weird. I mean, there were ten lights, and they were going like this. And I'm thinking... Ooh, cool, you know, alien takeover. I like, um, I didn't, we didn't know what it was. I just thought, this is weird. I've never seen anything. I don't know what it is. So Teresa gets out her, she's got this thing on her phone that, that tells you everything. It's kind of scary, you know. You, know it can, you can run it in front of Sam Bishop, and it'll tell you when he was born and, you know, what his blood type. I mean, it's just crazy. Anyway, um, but anyway, it's on her phone. And so she signed, she she has this Sky app on there. It's called Sky App or something like that. Um, good name for a Sky App, right? Sky App. So she's 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 doing it, and it says it's it's um, an Elon Musk like array of satellites. And I was like, oh, that's kind of. I mean, not that I don't mind an array of satellites, but it was just kind of anticlimactic. But we didn't know what it was. We just saw something. We didn't know what it was. The disciples are seeing something, and they don't know what it is. And that's what this sounds like. All the gospel writers, they, nobody had a framework. This wasn't something the Jewish people were expecting. They didn't expect a Messiah. They expected a Messiah that would come and overthrow the Romans, right? What was their biggest problem? What was the, the, if you were a Jewish person, what would be your biggest problem in the first century? You were an occupied people. It would be like if we were occupied by 
by uh, Russia, and they were oppressing us, and they were, you know, abusing us, and they were hurting us, and they were conscripting us. We, if you were to ask anybody, what's your biggest problem? We would say, them. You know, right? And so when they, when they expect a Messiah to come, they were like, okay, when the Messiah comes, he's going to deliver us, right? That's what he's going to do. Well, instead, he marches into Jerusalem. So far, so good. He rides on a donkey. Not, you know, kind of needs some PR work on that whole donkey thing, you know? Just not feeling it. So he rides in on a donkey. And then he gets into town and he overthrows the tables in the temple because... They're, you know, they've turned it into a, basically a, a big lots, you know. They've turned it into nothing wrong with big lots, but that's what it's become. And, and then he gets captured. And then he gets hung on a tree. And then he dies. And then he gets put in a tomb. Not the way the story's supposed to end, right? You're supposed to overthrow Rome. Remember, cracks, foundations. Rome was a crack. Rome was a crack. It wasn't a foundation. Sin and death was a foundation. If God isn't doing something in your life and you feel like, God, you need to be doing this, it's very possible that he's, he's not going to work on this because it's a crack. He's going to work on this because it's a foundation. And the foundation was the very core of who not just the Romans but all of humanity was, the core of who all of, all of us are. When Jesus got a hold of me, he dealt with my addiction which was good, and he needed to. Although I've found a few others since then. But, um, but he dealt with those core things that he needed to deal with in my life. He dealt with the foundational things. Early in the morning on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and she saw the stone that had been removed from the entrance. So she came, this is after Jesus is buried and he's been put in the tomb. And the tombs in those days had like a big rolly stone thing. And the rolling stone was made, that's where the song comes, like a rolling stone. You know, you ever see Bob Dylan? Like, anyway, um, so you, they had like these big round things so that people could get in and out. You could wheel it, but it still took a bunch of people to move this big stone thing. And they saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Mary, Mary did. And so she came running to Simon and, Peter, and Simon and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, who most people think is John. He refers to himself the one who Jesus loved all the time. Wouldn't that be good if we could refer to Jesus like that? The one who Jesus loved. What a cool picture. How might that change your life? And they said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. Somebody's taken him. The enemies have taken him. The religious leaders have taken him. 
Somebody's taking him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both of them were running too. There's more running here than in all the rest of the Bible put together. But the other disciple outran Peter. They had a race. And they reached the tomb first. And he bent over and looked in, in at the strips of linen lying there. But he didn't go in. John didn't. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. And he saw the strips of linen lying there as well, and the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still in its place, separate from the linens. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, John, went inside, and he saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary was outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked, Woman, why are you crying? And it's interesting here because Mary doesn't, she isn't afraid. She isn't like, ah, there's two angels sitting here. She is so deep in grief that the two angels don't really even phase her. They ask, they have taken my Lord away. This is how much she cared about Jesus. Why? Because this is how much Jesus did for her. I don't know where they put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. And she's ready to go carry Jesus by herself back to the tomb. That's how much she loved him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, or my teacher, my master, my Lord. And she said, don't, he said, don't take a hold of me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead and, t- instead and tell my brothers, and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and told them that he had said these things to her. And see, the resurrection is just the beginning of the great you catastrophe. At the end of the Lord of the Rings, there's this great scene where, if you watch the Lord of the Rings, an old movie by J.R.R. Tolkien, well, it was actually a book before it was a movie, he's, he's speaking about all these horrible things that have happened. And suddenly everything is reversed again. It's a you catastrophe. Gandalf, he said, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was, myself was dead. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? What's, what's going on? Danelle would have been great in that role. What's going on? A great shadow has departed, said Gandalf. And then he laughed, and the sound was like music or like water in a parched land. And as he listened, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter, the pure sound of merriment, for many days without count. Oh, how we need deep, joyful laughter in our lives. So we come to finding faith at the tomb. 
And the first thing we encounter is that it's unexpected. They're going and they're not expecting an empty tomb. These are people who saw something they did not expect. There was nothing in Jewish theology that anticipated somebody to rise from the dead in the middle of history. Not only that, the the whole idea of this rising from the dead, and this isn't just a resurrection like Lazarus. Lazarus died and Jesus raised him up from death, but he was raised up like this and he had to go and die again, right? He had to die twice, which is kind of, you know, he's like, the second time he's going to die, he's probably going, Jesus, I already did this once. Doesn't this, do I have to do it again? Doesn't it count? Doesn't once count? But it was unexpected. Mary, Mary doesn't understand it. We don't get it. And there's language used here that John uses that's, John, John uses words real significantly in his gospel. He says, early on the first day of the week, the first day of the week would, for them would have been Sunday. The Sabbath would have been Saturday. The first day of the week would have been Sunday. And it was still dark. And John is purposely going back to the, the book of Genesis when, when it was the first day. Remember, it was the first day and what, what it was. It, it was dark. It was all dark. And what John is trying to communicate here, I think, is that God is beginning a new creation through what, through what Jesus did. Jesus has begun a new creation that begins with himself. That when Jesus is raised, he is raised corp- in, a, in, a, in a corporeal, different way than we are. In some ways, he's the same, but in some ways, he's different. I mean, he can pass through walls, and yet he's not a ghost. The resurrection is not just about the resurrection of a spirit. He's not just the spirit being. He, he can eat. He eats with the disciples. He's resurrected with a new kind of body, a new kind of resurrection body that... that Corinthians says is the first fruits of, of what we will all get one day. It's a resurrection body that does not have the DNA of death in it, that does not die, that does not decay, that doesn't have death in it, that doesn't get sick, that doesn't wake up in the morning. I'm standing over there by my wife, and for some reason my right hip and this part of me decided not to work, start working this week. As you, as you get older, it's really fun. Every day you wake up and there's a new surprise. Like you wake up and like, oh, my right leg doesn't work today. How fun is that? This will be fun. I'll try and get through the day without my... And then you start thinking, what did I do? I, I must have sat wrong on it. Like when I was, you know, when you're, when you're 20, it well, maybe it does happen, but it's like stuff just starts happening when you get older. I, I can't imagine what this is going to be like. But Mary's first response to this isn't like, oh, it's that resurrection Jesus was talking about the whole time. It's like, no, somebody took his body. Somebody took the body of Jesus. Now, Mary, Mary, the reason that she has this deep, profound emotion for Jesus is because she had been a person who had been ostracized by society. She grew up in this area, Magdala, 
that was a very wealthy area, but she had seven demons, it says. She was emotionally, mentally very disturbed, very messed up. And when Jesus came there, he healed her of those things, and he brought her back. And it says in Luke that she was one of his followers along with the 12 disciples. Do you realize there were women followers of Jesus besides the 12 disciples? Read through the Gospel of Luke. You'll see it. And they were the ones that actually supported the disciples and supported Jesus' ministry. Well, the guys all quit fishing and were just hanging around eating. The women were like, okay, we'll pay for this. You know, I, was like, I don't think it was quite like that. But, but she was freed from that. She had, she had experienced just this amazing depth and grace of God. Have you experienced that amazing depth and grace of God in your life? That makes you, that gives you that place where you're, you're, you're just weeping over this, this love that you have for this man that's loved you like no other man has loved you before. He doesn't love you because of how you look. He doesn't love you because you're perfect. He doesn't love you because of what he can get from you. He loves you because of who he is, not because of who you are. That's an amazing kind of love, isn't it? So the first person, the first thing we learn about faith and how we encounter God is that it's very unexpected. We don't expect it to be what it is. We don't know what it is sometimes. When I first, people first told me about Jesus, and I grew up in the church. I grew up with, with you know, Easter. In fact, I, it was my faith first, I can't say it, first Faith crisis. I, I overslept my alarms today, so my wife wakes me up at like quarter, 20 to 9 or something. She goes, honey, you probably better get up. And I'm like, ah, better get up. It was like home alone all over again. Only the bur- burglars didn't show up. Um, so anyway, I, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of trying to get my, my, my brains together in all of this. But, um, you know, when, when all this is going on, um, Mary goes and she goes running out and she goes and she finds the disciples. She finds John and Peter and says, hey, they've taken the Messiah. They've taken this one. And she has this deep passion, deep passion for him. And they get there and the clothes were still lying in their place. Now what the, the words don't really convey this, but what it's giving a picture of is like his body vaporized through the clothes. And these, these things were, they used to wrap people up in these claws, and then they would put one thing like this around their jaw so their jaw wouldn't open up. So if people wanted to go visit the body for a couple of days, they could. But they put this one, and everything was just laying there like his body just went right through it. And that's really kind of what happened. And like I said, my early, one of my early faith crises was um, when I was just a kid. And I started thinking at one point, I started thinking, okay, three months ago we just celebrated the birth of Jesus. And now like three months later, we're celebrating, he, first of all, three months later he's got a beard and he dies, and he's res- being resurrected. So resurrection didn't bother me at all when I was just a kid. You know, I just thought, oh, okay, that's cool. Um, but what bothered me is how could somebody grow up in three months and get a beard and then get killed? I mean, that's just insane. And then all this stuff happened. And I didn't realize this was over a 30-year period. It's one of those things that if you're teaching Sunday school, you should probably tell your kids. 
You know, this is like, like no, wait a second. We do, we celebrate Christmas here. I mean, is that just how my brain works? Did any of you think of that? No, no, oh, well, I didn't either. I just thought. I was just trying to empathize with somebody who might have thought that way. Um, anyway, my first faith crisis. So they're, <laughs> they're going there. Isn't that funny, though? The, the idea that, that somebody could be raised from the dead was not even an issue for me. We've, we've come so far in our understanding of God that we have a, we've become kind of deistic. Do you know what deism is? It's a belief that God is out there, but he doesn't really get involved in, in life and in society and in people's lives. I remember many years ago there was this woman, this girl named Christy Zaka that grew up in her neighborhood. And Christy, very long time ago, when I was a kid, she got... She got leukemia, that's some deadly form of leukemia. In fact, in those days, almost every form of leukemia was deadly. And she was basically getting ready to die, and the doctors were meeting with her parents. And she had literally had a visitation one night, and Jesus came to her and called her name. And she came out when the doctors were meeting with her parents, and she said, Mommy... Jesus came to me last night and her mom just started crying because she thought that means she's going to go be with Jesus. And I can't remember exactly what she said, but it was something like he he talked to me and said, I'm going to be okay. And from that point on, she literally had no leukemia in her body. It was just gone. And she was healed. We do not live in a culture that believes that God intervenes in humanity, in human history. So they go, they're running to the tomb. They go inside. Peter, it says there's two different words for saw in this. The first one, Peter sees and looks around, kind of intellectually tries to see what's going on. And by the way, Christianity isn't just a blind faith religion. It's something that is okay to look into. When I went to seminary, I was afraid it was going to knock out my beliefs and Jesus, I thought, if I look too deep into this thing, I'm going to realize it's not really true, or there's historic or archaeological evidence against it. The, the opposite happened to me. As I began to study it, I thought, oh my gosh, there's such a coherence to Scripture, all these different books. And, and it is unique amongst all the other literature, because we got to read other ancient e- Near Eastern literature. We got to read literature... Um, like the Enuma Elish, uh, we got to read the Gilgamesh creation epic, all these other things. And they were supposed to be kind of like Genesis, and I'm like, these aren't like Genesis at all. I mean, the Gilgamesh creation epic was about this, this wolf and this, um, was it a wolf and a bear or something? They get in this battle, and, and in this battle, the, the Tiamat and Marduk, Tiamat, I think, skins Marduk and throws his, his skin over, and it becomes the earth. And I thought, and and... You know, these really smart theological guys used to say, well, that's pretty much the same as Genesis 1. And I went, what, what? In the beginning, was, you know, in the beginning, the earth was formless and void, and God spoke, and there was... Do you ever read Genesis 1? Does it sound like this, this wolf and this bear got in this fight, and the wolf threw his skin? No. It's a lot more complicated than that. I was like, this is not at all the same. So, so when, when Peter looks around, he's kind of intellectually looking around. And then there's John who just looks at it and, and believes. 
He's like, I don't know exactly what happened, but I think that something really good has happened here. And you know, there are those of us who have to sit and think a little bit. And if you're one of those people, that's okay. If you're one of those people that's been doubting and wondering, ask questions. I do not believe there is any question that God will not answer you. And I believe that it is okay to ask questions. We all come to faith in different ways. Some people have a radical encounter with Jesus. I had a radical encounter with, not with Jesus, but with a grave that God gave me a vision of, that I was being pulled to. And that literally scared the hell out of me in the sense that I turned back to God. That's just because I'm a kind of a two-by-four guy. I need a little bit of a two-by-four upside of my head to get me to kind of get things going. But some people don't need that. Some people need a gentle whisper of a name like Mary God. So we've got, first of all, these two guys. Faith is revealed in tears. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and, and saw two angels seated in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? And she said, they have taken my Lord away. And she said, I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and she saw Jesus, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. And there's this beautiful picture. There's these two angels sitting there, one at his head and one at his feet. And it's kind of this picture. You know the, the Ark of the Covenant? You ever see the movie? Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know what? There's two angels. They're both bowing down. One at each. That's called the mercy seat. That's where they used to offer sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins. Guess where these two angels are sitting? They're sitting at the two ends of the tomb. In, in, in between that tomb is the body of Jesus where the mercy seat is, where, where, sin was, where, where sacrifices were made for sin through the body of Jesus. And they're looking right at the, the real Ark of the Covenant. That's why we're forgiven. Next time you're beating yourself up about your sin, remember that Ark. Remember those angels. Remember that empty tomb. Mary sees through her tears. And as she's sitting there, her eyes are opened. Faith is revealed when, our, when Jesus opens her eyes. And this man that was there, he, he asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? You know, when Jesus asks us questions, it's not because he needs to know the answer. It's because he's an amazing counselor. He needs... He's trying to get us to think about who really are we looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. And in some ways, I love what N.T. Wright says. He said he was the gardener. He was the gardener of the new creation. Remember when God was walking around in the garden with Adam and Eve? He was the gardener of that new creation. And now he's the gardener of the new creation. She said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. 
And you see, we need to study. We need to look into things. We need to research things. We need to look and, and discover things. There was a guy named Lee Strobel. Some of you are familiar with him. He was a famous writer for the Chicago Tribune, I think. And his wife became a Christian, and it, got, it made him really mad. He's like, great, she's joined a cult. So he went and studied all he could about this cult that she was getting into called Christianity. And the more he studied, the more he began realizing this thing is right. Until one day in the midst of all of that, he's studying and trying to disprove his wife so that she would leave this stupid thing. And one day in the midst of all that, Jesus called his name. And one day in the midst of all my stuff, even after I'd gotten sober, I'd gotten sober, God had gotten me. I'm driving out west with, with three, three women friends from AA. And somebody's reading something that the Ten Commandments of Jesus by Robert Schuller, which is so funny. She's reading it. She gets halfway through it, and Jesus calls my name. Brent. Denise, Jim, Chris, Alec, Chris, lots of Chris's, all of you. You see, we're not fully going to get God, even if we do study and do all this stuff, until God turns on the light. There's this great passage where it says, in 2 Corinthians 4, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, he's talking about creation, made his light shine in our, in our hearts and gave us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. God who said, let there be light at the beginning of creation, I believe one day in all of our lives who have come to believe, one day came and said, let there be light. And suddenly, that's why C.S. Lewis said, C.S. Lewis was like this too. He was studying, learning, trying to figure out, studying all these different world religions. He said he got in. One day his brother came to pick him up on the sidecar of his motorcycle. He got on his motorcycle with his brother. And he said when he got on, he didn't believe. And when he got off, he believed. And that's the very reason I ride motorcycles, is I believe. And if any of you ever ride with me, you too will become a believer. At least you pray. There's a cool passage where Jesus says, Very truly, I, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep gate, sheep um, pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way as a thief and a robber, the one who enters the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice, and he calls his own sheep by, by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Isn't there an amazing amount of grace in this whole story of Mary? It's just filled with amazing grace, isn't it? It's just filled with amazing grace. The story of Mary, Jesus appearing to Mary Magdalene is so full of grace. Jesus comes looking for Mary. Mary thinks he's going to see a dead body. Her expectations regarding Jesus are too small. She has no idea how extraordinary a person he is. She knows she loves Jesus. 
She knows that Jesus is great, but how great? She never expected that Jesus could overcome death for himself. Jesus initiates the contact. That's how faith comes. Faith comes to a person by grace at the initiation of God. Christ's faith is surprising. Christ's faith is unexpected. Many people say, you know, I'm not the religious type. I'm not the kind of person who would get involved with Christian faith. Christian faith is not just for a certain type of person, the religious type. I am not the religious type of person. Any of you who know me know that. I was voted the number one, the least likely person to become a Christian in my class of 500. They didn't really vote that, but they would have if they could. The religious type. Christian faith is not primarily us searching for God. It is God searching for us. Jesus initiates. Jesus reveals himself. He reveals himself to a woman who comes from a broken background. She doesn't have a lot of moral attainment or religious attachment, attainment or educational attainment. Christian faith is the result of God coming to us so graciously. And you know what else Jesus does with this woman? This woman who has had seven demons. This woman who has looked down on so many people. This woman who lived in a culture that demeaned women, where women often were property. This woman who was the least likely person. If you were going to pick a person, if you were going to fake a resurrection, you would not pick this person to be your first witness. In fact, one of the, the reasons that people discounted Christianity was because of this witness. They were like, well, who's going to believe a faith that was witnessed to first by a bunch of women? Celsius, one of the early um, non-Christian historians, used to, say, used to say one of the reasons he didn't believe in Christianity is because it was just written by a bunch of, this is first century Rome, it was just written by a bunch of hyster. It was witnessed to by a bunch of hysterical women. Isn't that sad today that we people still do that? They go, "Oh, those are just hysterical women." It's like, no, those are the people that Jesus chose to reveal the resurrection to the first time. Who are the first apostles to the apostle? You know, if you're a woman here and you're going, "I'm not sure if I should be doing ministry," guess who God chose to be an apostle to the apostles? Who did he choose? A woman. Not just a woman, but a really messed up woman. A woman who had had seven demons, who was considered kind of crazy. Crazy Mary. That's who he chose. How many of you would discount yourself in being used by God? You go, well, I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not bold enough. I'm a woman. And God goes, I am. Guess who God, this is who God chose, people. This is who God chose to be the first witness. You know the first missionary was? A woman who had been married five times and was living with a guy. A Samaritan woman. She brought the whole message to the whole town of Samaria. You know what the, one of the first churches was? It was when Paul went to the, Paul was directed by an angel to go to this place called Macedonia. He gets there and there's a group of women meeting by the, by the water, we're trying to have a synagogue service, and Jesus tells them about, about, or Paul tells them about Jesus, and they become the Philippian church. 
The resurrection is so much more than we can imagine. The resurrection isn't just about, oh good, when we die we get to go to heaven. The resurrection is about, not just about us going up to be with God, it's about God coming down here to be with us, about God transforming these lowly bodies into resurrection bodies, about the fact that one day, Tim Keller puts it this way, he was talking about him and his wife at the end of our marriage class, and he said one day he's going to stand with his wife in front of Jesus And he's going to look at her in all her full glory. And he's going to say, I knew all along that that's who you could be. That that's what you were like. And she's going to turn to him and say, I knew all along. I'm I'm going to look at Denise and Teresa. and And I'm going to look at Carrie. And I'm going to go, I knew all along that that's what you could be. I knew all along that that's what God was making you into a woman. I knew all along that that's what God was making you into. Do you realize all the pain, all the suffering, all the woundedness that we, we come in here with this morning, all the hopelessness we come in, is going to seem like, Paul says, our, our present, all of our present sorrows um, don't even compare to the glory that will be revealed, not, not in them, in us. God has wants to give you hope this morning. He wants to give you a vision of eternity that will get you through this whole life and on in to eternity. One day, Jocelyn, you're going to look at life and you're going to go, You're going to stand before Jesus and go, wow, whoa, ooh, cool. All that crap that's gone on in your life and all of our lives is going to seem like this. And we're going to see glory and joy so deep that we cannot even comprehend it. Lord, Oh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. May we, may we remember, may we live this, may we hear your name, may we leave today with a touch of resurrection on us. You've given us a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. May we experience the deposit of your Holy Spirit here now. Heal up those wounds, drive out that darkness, Bring in that hope. May, may all of our women and men not discount ourselves because we're a woman, because we're a man, because we're broken. May we all be witnesses to your resurrection and your power. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you don't know this Jesus or if you want more of this Jesus, come on up and get some prayer this morning. If you want some healing in your life today, come on up and get some prayer. Amen.